At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're actually ready to be your own boss? I would like to invite you to join me for an online program that will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready. And if you're not quite ready, what do you need to do to get there? To find out more about my online program, please visit thehowofbusiness.com for more information. Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Laura Pennington. Laura, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to have you. Uh, Laura is an entrepreneur. She's an expert content marketer, a ghostwriter, a legal writer, a freelance writer. She's a professional speaker and an educator, and she's a podcast host as well. Uh, she's the founder of Six Figure Writing Secrets and several other businesses that we'll chat about. And her podcast is The Better Biz Academy with Laura Pennington. Uh, Laura is an expert content marketing strategist having helped more than 300 clients boost their businesses and gain better leads online. Laura went from a part-time freelancing uh, gig, if you will, to a six-figure business in just 18 months. So after being asked so many times, how did you do it? She founded two leading programs to help new and existing freelance writers to launch and grow incredible businesses from home. She lives in Jacksonville, in the Jacksonville, North Carolina area. And so in this episode, Laura is going to share with us her very interesting background and journey to where she is today. And then we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive on just what does it take to become a successful freelance writer. So once again, Laura Pennington, Pennington rather, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm excited to be here, excited to chat, and hope I can provide some valuable advice for your audience. Well, I'm sure you will. So let's let's dive right into it. You, if I got it right, you got a, a bachelor's in political science and, and economics, and yes. then a master's in political science, and then a PhD in public administration and policy. What was the path you were on back then? I was intent on becoming a professor. I used to teach in the political science department at Virginia Tech while I was getting my master's. I loved it, loved my students, loved helping them with their writing, leading recitations, preparing them for tests, all of that. And so I thought, all right, while I'm working on my PhD, you know, we were moving, my fiance is in the military, so we are preparing for move number five in seven years. So we moved to Maryland, away from the Virginia Tech home campus, and they had a night program to get your PhD 
in public policy. So I took a job during the day to be a seventh grade teacher in Baltimore City, and I was doing my PhD classes at night on a full-time basis. And that experience in Baltimore really burned me out. It almost Mm. drove me completely away from education, and I was in the midst of this PhD program going, wow, is this even what I want to do anymore? And that's when I really started thinking about pursuing alternative options. And sisters, yeah, I hear that so much from teachers. My, my brother was a teacher, actually. He's back to teaching again at the high school level. Uh, but the burnout, why, why do you think that happens so often? Why is there such a disconnect from the, the dream of it, the, the passion of it, and then the reality hits when you get, especially in your case, if I got it right, you were teaching in a public school. What's the issue at large? I don't want to go off too far on a tangent, but it's just right. curious to me. Well, for me, I knew going into college that I was not your typical nine to five person. That's Mm. kind of why education appealed to me. I've always been a little march the beat of my own drummer, I guess you might say. As a child, I had ADD, very much wanted to do my own thing. And, you know, that's something that my parents struggled with. So I knew going into college, like the traditional workforce isn't for me. But I really found that I struggled with the administrative aspect of teaching. I loved creating lesson plans. I was the worst disciplinarian. And (laughs) the structure in particular of a school system like Baltimore City that's very high needs, very challenged in terms of keeping teachers on the roster and terms of managing a school system that big with that many problems and so few resources really trickled down to me at the teacher level. You know, I taught for six hours a day straight with no break to even go to the bathroom or to eat. I had 115 students, uh, 35 of them to a class at a time. So it was very stressful and I felt like I was constantly under pressure and I was you know, I felt like I had to pick my battles. So I made great lesson plans for the students who paid attention. But with 35 students in the room, I could not always give attention to that one or two students that were, you know, trying to climb out the window. So for me, I just burned out. You were you were more babysitting or herding cats than anything else I got to imagine. And then dealing with the politics of administration, right, especially in those environments. That's that's not what you thought it would be about. All right. So then when did you decide, I'm sure that was part of it, you decided to take this legal turn or this turn towards legal writing and you did some marketing as well. So tell us about that transition. Sure. So I resigned as a teacher in 2012. An old boss of mine offered me that nine to five job I knew I should never take. (laughs) And I took it uh, because I was kind of floundering, like, what am I going to do with my life? I don't want to be an educator. And my fiance was put on leave without pay by the military. He'd graduated medical school, was getting ready to start his internship, but they didn't have a post for him yet. So for three months, he had no income and we very suddenly became a one income family. So I Googled how to become a freelance writer. I did that only because because I'd had a professor in college who told me I was a decent writer. And I'm really self-taught. I taught myself everything I needed to know about how to write SEO content, figured out pretty quickly that law firms were my sweet spot and Mm. kind of took it from there. And business really exploded a lot faster than I expected. Yeah. And do you still do some of that work, SEO for legal uh, firms? Yes, I do. I have a number of clients that are on retainer with me, very easy to work with. I love working with them and it's still a part of my business about 15 to 20 hours a week. So let me ask you this question right now. You obviously had a talent for writing for writing, and then you developed that. Is that a prerequisite that uh, you either have to have developed or have a natural ability for writing to become a successful freelance writer? I like to tell people that if you are a good writer and willing to practice to become great, 
that's all you really need. You okay. do not need to be a Pulitzer Prize winner or have a bat. I didn't even have a degree in English or communication, right? So if you're a, if you have the basic skills to be a good writer, then you're set. Okay, fair enough. All right, then this other business uh, explained to me: social studies studio, a teacher's pay teacher's store. What is that? An active business you still have, or tell us about that business. Yes. When I was a teacher, I had no resources or books and I was the only middle school social studies teacher. So they told me to teach whatever I felt was important for kids to know between fifth and ninth grade. Oh, so I made, I made all my own lesson plans, comprehensive resources for the teacher who has nothing. And I also made sub plans. So if you can't be in your classroom for a day, somebody can step in and teach the, the curriculum from that packet without any other background. So I now sell those lesson plans on teachers pay teachers designed for social studies teachers don't have resources don't have time or need an emergency lesson plan for a substitute interesting and so that's still also an active business that you have today is that right yes it's my one of my passive income streams so I don't do a whole lot to touch that but it's making money for me kind of every day yeah you developed that IP and it's still obviously relevant and current you might update it here and there but it still sells Yes, and it's definitely in high demand because teachers have so much pressure on them. So um, it's it's great because we're teaching history, right? That doesn't really change. So I don't right. have to update the materials that much. <laughs> right. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. And then so then as I read in the intro, you've been doing freelancing and been very successful at it. People kept asking you how you do it. And I'm assuming that's how Six Figure Writing Secrets came about. Yes. Other people, especially former teachers, people I was in grad school with kept saying, hey, I've heard your story. I got profiled in Business Insider. So that brought a lot of attention. And I realized that having these one-on-one -on -one conversations with everybody just wasn't a really good fit for my business model. I needed something a little bit more effective. So that's why I developed courses. Okay. Right. All right. So let's dive into a little bit more. You, you, obviously, we just got finished talking about that your belief is you have to at least have been a, a good writer and then you can learn to make a business out of it. So what are some of those other characteristics? And I, I'm going to suspect a lot of them have are the same characteristics that lead you to be a successful business regardless of the business. But what have you found to be some of those skills and characteristics beyond a good level of writing skills to become a successful freelance writer? You have to be masterfully self-disciplined. You're in control of the working environment. So when I quote a client, this is going to take you 48, this is going to take me 48 hours or 72 hours. I need to mean that. I need to know how I work and to set aside the time in my schedule to make sure that happens. You also need to be confident doing sales calls or emails. Sometimes getting the client on the phone for five minutes is all it takes to land the business, but you need to be able to speak confidently when you do so. And then just an ability to stick to deadlines. That's probably the most important thing as a writer that's how you build your trust with your clients providing quality work and delivering it on deadline yeah i just recently had an experience with with one of the online sites that i went to someone who had used before it was a simple transcription service and it's amazing so she you know i got the promise date as it always is and it was like four days late beyond that and i just got excuses really right the work was still good but i probably will not use that person again just because if she had just set the right expectation to begin with, that would have been fine. I didn't actually need this by any particular day and time. But that lack of now having misset a, a deadline and not met it and then giving me excuses, I won't use that person again. 
Absolutely. I always encourage people, give yourself a day as a buffer because life happens. You might get sick. You might not feel like working that day. You might need extra time to do research. So be really clear about how long you think it's going to take you to do something. You know, worst case scenario, you finish it on the day that it was due, but ideally you finish it a day early and kind of blow the client's expectations away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so I want to go, I want to go back to how to get started. So I've got some natural ability. Maybe I studied it. Somebody has, you know, people have told me you've got this ability. How do I begin to, and how did, well, in your case, it was different, but how does, how do you recommend and how do you teach people that they get started developing that skill and especially applying it in, in this arena of, of freelancing, where do you recommend someone get started if this is something they think they want to do? The first thing that you're going to need is to have some type of a work sample. So that's different based on whatever type of freelancer you are. For a writer, it's blogs or web content. It might be a finished web page for a web designer. That's going to be your calling card people care more about quality than they do about anything else. So if you're brand new and you impress them with an amazing quality piece, that stands out. You also need to have a pitch. And a lot of people make mistakes with their pitch. They focus on themselves. Mm. You're really talking to the client. What are their pain points? Why on earth would they outsource what you're asking them to outsource? You've got to speak to them directly. And then you just need a marketing method. And that can be any number of things. LinkedIn, cold calls, Facebook groups, uh, job board like Upwork. There can be a lot of different places to find that work, but you've got to have those core elements of the pitch and then some samples to share with someone. And then do, I'm assuming you recommend like you did finding perhaps a niche, like you went into the legal arena and started there and expanded from there. Is that is that a recommendation as well? Yes, find something that you like doing. So don't commit to a niche too early on. I actually discovered that 80% of my clients were naturally male attorneys between the ages of 30 and 55 who had estate planning or personal injury firms. So I just went with where the pattern was already. Mm -hmm. But identify who you like working for, who's easy to work with, who pays on time, who gives you meaningful projects. And then you can start to niche down. And particularly if you can focus in a niche that's that's underserved, that's your potential to make money. Now, how did you end up in that? That niche because it I didn't see where you had a background necessarily I mean you were a legal assistant so maybe that's where you picked it up so you did you I wouldn't pick a niche that I don't have some knowledge of right you need to realistically have knowledge of that area an ideal niche is one that you have knowledge about and also passion for so okay. you can go with one or the other you can you know teach yourself or mm -hmm. you know develop passion for it eventually but ideally you'll have both I did work as a legal assistant in college for a personal injury and workers comp lawyer my dissertation for my PhD is actually about uh, the justice system in the US as well and how they handle domestic violence cases so I've always had an interest in the law and because I understood more than other writers what things you can and can't say as an attorney and the importance of writing specifically for a, an audience that might need a lawyer, I was able to step in and kind of scoop up that market pretty quickly. Yeah. Okay, a couple things. On the self-discipline, um, are there tips, tools, techniques you use to help you with that? Yes, I use the Pomodoro technique a lot. Uh, that means working for 25 or 50 minutes focused on one particular task. I turn my email inbox off 
all the time. I use a tool called Gmail Inbox Pause to do that. It hides my emails from me, so I'm not tempted to answer them, and then delivers them on a schedule when I'm ready to sit down and read and answer a bunch of them. I also outsource everything that I can't or shouldn't be doing. So in order to produce my podcast, the only things I need to do are to show up and record it and approve the guests to be on the show. Everything else is outsourced to somebody else. Um, in my writing business, because I do all the writing myself and I don't some contract to others, most of the other pieces of my business, like my Teachers Pay Teachers store or my podcast, are outsourced to my digital team. And then my favorite tool is called Focus at Will. It's scientifically proven music that helps you focus. Also has a timer on it, so perfect to fuse with your Pomodoro stuff. And um, I find that really works for me. Even if it's just because I've trained my brain that when I sit down and listen to this music, it's work time. I don't know if it's any more than that, but it really works for me. Yeah, I, I think that's been recommended to me before. Is that an online site, Focus at Will? Yes, it is. And it's super affordable. I want to say it's like $12 a month. I use it every single workday. So more than pays for itself. Interesting. Great, great advice. Great tips there. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're actually ready to be your own boss? I would like to invite you to join me for an online program that will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready. And if you're not quite ready, what do you need to do to get there? Perhaps you need help understanding and overcoming your fears. Maybe you're not entirely sure about what it really takes to be ready, willing, and able to become your own boss. My online program is about helping you take the first critical steps towards realizing your dreams of entrepreneurship. I will take you step by step through a process that will help you determine if you are in fact ready to be your own boss and specifically identify what you need to do next. To find out more about my online program, please visit thehowofbusiness.com for more information. Okay, so... I want to touch, uh, go off on a tangent for a moment on the outsourcing because the challenge that I've had and I know a lot of uh, our listeners have is early on, early days, we feel like we can't afford to outsource and I suspect you were there as well early on. How have you gone about deciding and how do you continually decide, all right, this is something that I need to look at outsourcing? How do you make that decision? You pointed out one of the most important aspects of it, which is that it's ongoing. So I'm always refining things, deciding what I need to do versus what my team members need to do and do we need to bring on somebody else. So the first things, when my business grew very quickly, so my business hit the six-figure mark in 18 months. So there was no way I could continue to do all the things I was doing in my business. It's only so many hours in a day. So the first things I looked to outsource were things that I did not like doing and that were not making me money. So a perfect example, social media. I don't get clients from social media. So it's important for me to have that as a credibility source, but I also don't like doing it and find it really draining and time consuming. So I outsource that. So, um, and I learned a lesson pretty early on that, you know, whatever my hourly rate is, if I'm doing tasks that I could outsource for less than that, it does not make sense for me to be doing those tasks. So I am a master delegator. I have three people on my team right now, and um, it's great to be able to outsource and delegate things so that I can focus and keep my mind most in line with what I actually need to be doing versus these admin tasks or things that I honestly don't enjoy anyways. 
Yeah, great, great tips. We were talking before we started recording and we were having technical issues. You were about to record something for someone. So uh, how do you go about, you know, one of the big challenges obviously is in delegating. We feel like, oh gosh, it'll take me so long to explain it to somebody that I'll just do it myself, right? So we have that tendency as small business owners. What are some of the tips and techniques you use to help you be able to delegate something? Yeah, I've learned a tremendous amount about this. I've also built digital teams for other companies like Microsoft and TrueCar. So I've worked with over 200 freelancers and really kind of mastered the instruction giving technique. What I love to do is make a video of me doing it. That way there's no shame if my VA needs to watch that video five times. It's much better than me jumping on a live call, explaining it, them asking questions and then forgetting. Then if that team member leaves, I've still got those materials to say, oh, you need to know how to upload something to WordPress. Yeah, we've got that video here. Go watch it and watch it at their own pace and all of that. That's been extremely powerful to allow people to do things in their own way, but not have me reinventing the wheel each time. There's always a training period. So make it clear to the person you hire that you're going to provide feedback, that you know they're going to make mistakes and that's okay. As the client, you're also going to make mistakes and learn along the way. So I also regularly ask my VAs, hey, what am I doing that's driving you crazy? Are my instructions low quality? Am I not giving you enough lead time to get things done? Is there too much on your plate? Keep that an open door relationship. And ideally, you'll have people who will grow into bigger roles on your team. So someone may transition from VA to project manager or business manager for you and reward people who do excellent work and are and are loyal to you. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So you touched on I want to jump to you touched on social media not being something that generates much in the way of leads. What have been the great sources if you can share a couple of them of leads for your business? So one of the best leads for my business has been Upwork. I love using that site. I, I have a course on you know how to make money on Upwork because that it's between three and four hundred thousand dollars worth of business in the last couple of years that otherwise wouldn't have come to me. So I love Upwork because the clients are pre-sold. You pay to be a monthly member, and then you also use Connects. Uh, but I also love referrals. Referrals work really well for me, and word of mouth because my clients, especially, they have old buddies from law school or people they meet at the monthly bar association, and they'll and someone will say to them, "Hey, your blog is awesome," and they'll go, "Yeah, I, I have Laura do that and pass on that information." So for me, doing that has really helped a lot. I would say those are the two most powerful sources of leads for me. So when it comes to referrals, how do you ask for referrals? I ask for referrals after I have an established quality relationship with the client. I want to make sure I've gone above and beyond their expectations. I also don't want to put any pressure on them. So I kind of do it as a touch point you know, how do they think I'm doing? So I kind of have it be this process where they're giving me feedback and then share that I really benefit from referrals or testimonials. Is there anyone else that you know who may benefit from my services? And usually even if they don't come back with a person that they know of, they'll say, hey, you know, I'd be happy to give you a testimonial uh, for your website or for LinkedIn or something like that, which also helps me book business. Or then it's an opportunity for me to upsell them into a bigger package with me. So it almost always benefits you in some way to ask for referrals because you never know. And they honestly, your clients may not know that you are open to taking on more work. Yeah, you, so you have to let them know. But in the, the thing that's tricky is everybody kind of has a different opinion on when to ask for it. And, and so thanks for sharing that. Um, the podcast, is that a source of leads? And also, why did you decide to launch the podcast? 
I decided to launch the podcast because most of the people in my audience, so my audience of wannabe freelancers, they're still in nine to five jobs or pretty new to an online business. And they would actually email me and say, hey, I don't have time to read your blog, but I do commute or I do ride my bike 20 minutes in the morning. So I said, all right. In the time it takes me to write one blog, I could record one or two podcasts, get out way more information, and then it's there for posterity. It's a whole other way to provide great free value to my audience. So I, I started it with that intention, and I love it. It's my favorite medium by far, so I really love producing my podcast and look forward to continuing to grow that. Yeah, absolutely, and it's available on what platforms? iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Okay, and again... Uh, I search for Better Biz Academy with Laura Pennington or any portion thereof, and you'll find it on iTunes, certainly. Yes. Uh, as well as the website. The website to find it at, is that just on your main website? I think it's a tab on the on your principal website, right? It is, and we're merging that site over to Better Biz Academy, so everything kind of has the same name, but you will always be able to access the podcast from that main site. Great. All right. The other thing you I know you talk about is you call it the three things that anyone must do before launching a freelance career. Would you share those three things with us? <laughs> yeah. So you have to have a proposal, like I talked about, some kind of a pitch or a proposal. Um, you need to have samples ready to go and you need to have some type of marketing plan that you're going to hold yourself accountable to because a lot of people, you know, I just talked to somebody yesterday, said, well, I submitted 20 bids on Upwork six months ago and never heard anything. And I said, well, there's why you haven't landed any business. You have to be consistent and have a method, gamify it for yourself. You know, whether it's I'm in a cold call three people per day and then don't stop until you've hit that marker that really helps you make it you know a little bit more fun for you but also stick to your marketing goals yeah and i gotta think all of these things that we've talked about that's what it takes to have an opportunity to get to a six-figure income with a freelance business right yes well, what else is there anything else that we haven't touched on you know we talked about the self-discipline being able to sell yourself and you just touched on that again meeting deadlines we talked about how important that is um, and then we, we've talked about, you've shared with us some of the, the techniques. Upwork has been very efficient for you, building through referrals and word of mouth. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you think is key to achieving that success with freelancing? Yes. Try to pick something that you can offer that in an ideal situation is on a retainer basis. This is harder for people mm -hmm. like web designers, although you can roll in monthly website maintenance. The more clients that you have on retainer, the easier it is to plan your income okay. and decide how busy you are or not. That's really been the make or break point for me hitting six figures the last several years. Okay. So you'd like, because you've got still some of those clients in the legal field, for example, and others, I suspect, and that's where you started. How... What was it that you did for them or that you got to the point in that relationship with that client that putting you on retainer made sense for them? Well, first of all, they need to be seeing business from it. So my clients are looking for leads for their law firm. So they understand that it's about building engagement as well as search engine optimization purposes when I'm writing for them. Most of them choose to go to retainer because it's just easier for them. They they are not making money directly by writing the blog. They make their most money, you know, charging $500,000 an hour to their clients or a percentage of a, a winning retainer. So it doesn't make sense um, for them to be doing the writing. So when I step in, 
you know, usually they start off by saying, oh, I really want to hear what you're writing about. I want to review the post every week. Usually in less than a month, they've totally handed it off to me and they hardly ever touch it. They might suggest a topic from time to time, but they don't have the time or energy. So for them, it makes sense to outsource this to a professional. And it's an easy conversation to say, hey, let's let's go on retainer with this. I can also add in these services for you as as you know, an additional benefit. And I got to think part of the sale sales pitch to them is that guarantees you that I will be available and produce what you've been expecting on a monthly basis. There's no there's no issue that I might be booked with something else. Right. So that's part of this, what you're selling them. Right. They're kind of locking in your availability. And I yeah. tell my clients, I choose to only work with a select few premium clients. So that also means they're going to get faster email responses from me. I, you know, I guarantee certain things about their work, et cetera. So they like being a premium client because they know it's fully outsourced. They don't have to think about it. Yeah. I got to think, Laura, also that while at first it's, it's, you take anything that comes to you, but you've become rather selective of, truly selective of who those are, because that's got to be the work that you most enjoy, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> and it's such a process, but over time you realize what you do and you don't like, and then you really hone in. And I, that's my other secret, you know, in addition to retainers saying no, which sounds counterintuitive is actually the most powerful method for growing your business to the six figure level, because we are in control of our time and our energy and there's limited quantities of both. So I'm not giving either one of those to somebody who isn't giving me a well-paid, enjoyable project and a good overall experience. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So you uh, often say this is an ideal time to start a freelance writing business. Why is it an ideal time? Companies are more open than ever before to outsourcing things. Like I said, I've even worked with companies like TrueCar and Microsoft that are testing using remote digital freelance teams. And because of that, you have more people who are in the client pool to begin with. People are more comfortable with hiring a stranger online than they were in the past. It's actually becoming quite commonplace in the gig economy. So because of that, there's less selling you have to do as the freelancer. You know, you don't have to convince somebody that they need to micromanage you or check in on you every two hours. You can just build that trust, even if it's a total stranger. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the other thing that's great about this business, obviously, in part, if I got it right, this came about for you because you're moving around a lot. And, and so you're not anywhere where you would have otherwise maybe been inclined to build a traditional brick and mortar business. But this is the type of business that talk about freedom of location. I mean, you can do this virtually from anywhere. Yes, and that's allowed me to do a lot of things like go on a three-week European vacation last year or visit my mom several states away for six weeks and only work three hours a day. Right now, we're getting ready to move several states um, for military purposes, and I'm going to be able to set up again right away as soon as I get there. No job hunt, no resumes, none of that. Yep. So that's a huge benefit for us, especially being a military family. Yeah, it's a huge freedom and, and a tremendous advantage. All right, uh, we'll start to take a, a more personal turn. What, what would you say you love most about what you do today? I love that it's different every day. Like I told you earlier, I'm not a nine to fiver. And so doing something different, I know more about car accidents and estate planning strategies than I certainly need to. But I think it's cool that I get to learn all these things every single day and do something different. Yeah, I imagine so. All right, so we, we've touched on it, but give me the, the brief elevator pitch on what the Better Biz Academy offers. 
the Better Biz Academy is the portion of my business that's dedicated to helping people outsource. So you know you're too busy, you know you've maxed out on what you can do in a day, but you need help figuring out how to outsource it and build an effective digital team. And that's what I teach people to do. Okay, and then you also teach people, of course, how to become freelance writers, right? You've got a couple of programs for that. Yes, I do. So that's really geared towards beginners, even if you have no professional writing experience, how to start from the beginning and then build your business. Right. Okay, uh, business book. You mentioned Focus at Will. That was mm -hmm. a tool, actually, not a book. Yes. And so there is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend to us? To us? Yeah. Yes, Deep Work by Cal Newport, extremely important for focus and productivity. It's basically the concept of allowing yourself to be super focused in the very distracted world we live in today. Deep Work. Okay, so this comes back to the strategy. I, I call it time blocking. Uh, you, you called it another method I wasn't familiar with. What was that again? Your method. Oh, it's called... Yes, it's called the Pomodoro Technique. Pomodoro Technique. Okay. I wanted to ask you about that. So do you have multiple of those blocks in a day or does it depend on what your day looks like? How many of those, I think you said 50 minutes or whatever it is, blocks of time do you allocate per day? Well, if you're doing a 50 minute block, which is a little bit longer, you know, I allocate like 25 minutes for something quick if I'm going to do a blog minutes. post. Okay. But if you're doing, if I'm working on a client project, it's probably 50 minutes and you're doing Cal Newport's kind of deep work in those sessions. So you don't want to have six to eight of them in a day, probably three to four is realistic. Okay. And once you commit to it and really don't get distracted, you can get a lot done in 50 minutes. So do you then back out, do you plan how many of those blocks you can have in a week? And that helps you determine what bandwidth you have to commit to projects? Yes, it also tells me if I need to turn somebody down or if I need to pull in a couple hours on the weekend or anything like that. Okay. Because you've learned that it's not realistic to say, well, I'll just squeeze that in somewhere or I'll just, you know, work later. That that you, I'm sure, have learned not only does it make it miserable, but it affects the quality of the work, I have to think. Yes, and my clients also have a tendency to chime in on Friday and ask for things for the following week. So knowing in advance what's coming down the pike, I can give them realistic timelines for something that is still high quality. You know, I'm not sacrificing that, but say, hey, you know, I'm really booked until next Thursday. I've got a window on Thursday. And when I say I have a window, I really do. I mean, I have a 50-minute window to work on your project. <laughs> right. Now, is it on your team, is it just you producing content now or do you have other writers on your team? I do not. So all of the content that's produced on my YouTube channel, my podcast and my blogs is and my newsletter is all created by me, but administratively is pushed out by my sure. team. Yeah. So that does obviously create a natural constraint on how much you can produce in a week. And you have to be yes. very cognizant of that and manage that very carefully. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, great. Interesting stuff. All right. Let's uh, wrap it up here. Last question is parting piece of advice, thought, especially on the topic we've been focusing on, which is for someone listening who's thinking about becoming a freelance writer, what did I not ask you about or parting piece of advice that you would have? I think my parting piece of advice is if this interests you in any way, if it even piqued your interest for five seconds, consider exploring it. You don't need to take on 
a 40 hour work week as a freelancer to figure out whether or not this is right for you. Try to land one job and see if it gels with you and then build your business from there. My only regret is that I didn't start sooner. So give it a shot. Worst case scenario, you hate it. You get paid for that one job and you never do it again. Yeah, no, this is a great opportunity. Nobody's saying go and quit your job and do this. This is a perfect thing to start on the side and see, like you said, where it goes and to, to get better and better at it until you're at a point where you can make it your full-time thing. Absolutely. All right. Where would you like our listeners to go, Laura, online to find out more about you and about your business? You can go to betterbizacademy.com and you can find my podcast in iTunes or in Stitcher Radio. And we'll have links to all of that as well as the book recommendation on the show notes page for this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. Laura, thanks for being with us today, sharing these insights and knowledge. I appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Folks, this is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.